Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Dr. Joel Kettner, a prof of medicine at the University of Manitoba. We'll talk to him about COVID-19. Also, Deborah Chan, the former Winnipegger, still in quarantine with her husband, John, but they've moved now from the Diamond Princess cruise ship off Tokyo to an Air Force base in California. I'll talk with Deborah again. And Terry Shaw from the Manitoba Trucking Association on the impact of these protests and blockades. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now the podcast. Joining us now in studio, Dr. Joel Kettner. He is a professor of medicine at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Joel, thanks for coming in again today. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Nice to be here. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, myths and truths when it comes to COVID-19. But we were just having a chat off air and I said to you, I told you I'm, I'm a fan of the zombie movies and not that, you know, this is connected to that, but... What are the chances, and this is an interesting answer, and I want everybody to hear this, what are the chances that a virus of some kind will be the end of humankind? Oh, you want me to tell the answer? <laughs> yes. I thought you were going to tell no, it. No, I want you to tell it, but you, you told well, me off here. I said it's quite unlikely uh, because there's a lot of checks and balances uh, between viruses, bacteria, humans, other organisms, other animals, populations. And the balance of nature actually uh, holds some of these things in check. So a virus which really kills off... Uh, it's uh, it's host or very quickly uh, doesn't get spread to other humans and sort of snuffs itself out by kind of um, eating too much of its prey, so to speak. And uh, and uh, it's a bit of a crude way to describe it. But I, I think that what we always see in these uh, outbreaks is that they get into some kind of balance. Uh, some say they fizzle out. Some say they stabilize and they're just part of the everyday mix. Uh, influenza is kind of like that, except it's changing all the time. So it really is a different virus uh, uh, each year. So uh, it's a pretty complex um uh, ecology. Good to know that it likely will not be the end of humankind. No, I, I think we'll probably kill each other off in <laughs> long in, before in that war happens. or yeah. uh, with our nuclear weapons and everything else. I think we need to con- concentrate more on that than the viruses. Yeah, yeah. I said, "How are you? Fine." You said, "How am I?" I said, "Well, actually, for the past couple of weeks, I've kind of been battling with something, sort of a flu, cold, mix, or whatever." And people around here have been getting sick and taking days off and coming back. And you were saying there are literally thousands of unknown viruses. It could have been any one of those that's impacting us here at CGOB. It's very possible that you have a coronavirus, Hal. Seriously? Absolutely. There's, there's, it's, right, because it's, we're, we're it, talking about COVID-19 as one specific coronavirus, yeah, right? You may have COVID-19. So if we're not feeling well right now out there, Winnipeggers and Manitobans, they could have... This virus. Well, they could. I mean, I don't want to be dramatic about this or alarmist. Um, You know, as we get better at testing, as we get more refined and specific about being able to look at the viruses in their subtypes and their subtypes of their subtypes, we're going to discover that there's a lot more viruses than we think. And we're going to to think every time we find one that it's it's a new virus. Or we might think that even if it's been around uh, for a long time or it's been in one part of the world and then gets to be in another part of the world. So I think we actually should be open-minded about what we're actually dealing with here and how much of this may have already spread around the world before it got so-called discovered in uh, in China uh, in, in the middle of December of last year or sooner. We don't really know exactly when. So I want to kind of put this in perspective because right now there's a lot of focus on this one very specific virus – 
and it's being tested for, and we're counting it, and we're and we're testing it when someone's sick, we're testing when someone dies, and then we find it, and then we're attributing their disease or their death to that specific virus because we're looking for it and we're testing for it, and that can that can lead to a misleading picture of what's really going on. How are we doing? Uh, it's been a while since we talked. A couple of weeks. How are we doing when it comes to COVID nineteen in China and the rest uh, of the world? So again, it's hard to know because we don't really have all the data that we could use to try to assess this situation. First of all, how frequent is it? How severe is it? How easily is it spreading from person to person? What's the average number of people that one person who's got it is going to infect? In terms of contacts, that's a measurement we use in looking at outbreaks. And what's the trajectory of this? Is it where is it in the so-called epidemic curve? Are we rising? Are we are we at the plateau? Is it starting to go down? It's very hard to answer that question in real time as we're going. But I have to say, when you stand back and look at the big picture here, even though the numbers may seem alarming to some people, you know, like two thousand new cases every day, one hundred new deaths every day in the in the province of Hubei, sixty million population. When you put denominators under that, in other words, when you look at rates and time periods of this uh, of this disease that's being diagnosed, it's actually not that scary. Let me give you an example. 100 new deaths every day in the province of Hubei. If we translated that to Winnipeg, we had this very same rate of death in Winnipeg, there'd be one death per day. Like it's we're one hundredth the population of that population, and who would that death be in? Would it be in in, in someone who's eighty five that's already got chronic lung disease, uh, and this is sort of the last straw? And I don't mean to speak respectfully about old people, sure, but I mean that's what mm-hmm. influenza does. That's yeah. what these virus infections do. They sort of have their biggest effect on people who are already uh, either elderly or chronic illness, or their immune system is weak for whatever reason, and so. The risk actually for the majority of people who are not elderly or have chronic diseases or a weakened immune system is much, much, much lower. We don't have enough data yet uh, to know exactly what's going on in China. But here's an interesting observation. We've now got almost 1,000 cases identified in other parts of the world that, you know, where it's been picked up, 25 countries, and now in conveyances where the real big numbers are coming through. Three deaths have been counted. We don't know how many people have been sick enough to be in hospital, even on the cruises. I haven't heard any details about how ill have those people been. Do they have mild colds? Are they tested because they just wanted to be tested or someone thought they should be tested? They don't have any symptoms, but they're finding this in the back of their nose or their throat. That's what happens in a situation like this. Right. So all this has to be put into perspective. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, uh, I wanted to get to uh, myths and facts, and I'm almost out of time, so let me just ask this. Are there any, uh, what's the craziest thing you've heard about this virus? Is there is there one that sticks out in your head? Yeah, well, I shouldn't use, I wouldn't use the word crazy, but what I'm perplexing over is the Director General of the World Health Organization saying that this is a very grave public health threat, and it's public enemy number one. Now, I, I won't use the word crazy, but I have to say that really took me by you, surprise. You think that's a little out there, right? Eh? It's way out there. Way out I mean, there. I can list a hundred other bigger public health concerns and issues mm. than this, uh, even in its numbers that we're seeing now. And the problem with that is it sends a message. 
it, it, you know, I think it, it alarms people. Causes panic. Yeah, and then we find that, you know, we're, we're putting sheets of paper, plastic sheets between parts of the airplane where, you know, we're, we're holding, holding people up for two weeks. We're we're interrupting regular economic flow of yeah. of goods, materials. We're creating unemployment. It's because of those kinds of I think alarmist messages that there is a potential for an overreaction. Yeah, because we're because we're starting to see now that, that quarantines maybe don't work as well as we think they do. The uh, the ability of a quarantine to stop the common cold never been it's never been successful, even if we wanted to quarantine it. There's lots of reasons why it's very, very difficult to stop a virus like the coronavirus, like the common cold, uh, or others like it by quarantine. Very difficult. And very quick answer, because I'm way over time here. Oregano oil. I heard one doctor, and I'm using air quotes here, doctors say oregano oil can keep it away and maybe even kill COVID-19. Uh <laughs> Are you asking me whether to invest well, uh, uh, in, in the shares? Because I'm going to say <laughs> that I'm going to say yes. Invest okay. in the shares. Yes. That's all I'm going to say about okay. that. Okay. All right, Dr. Joel Kettner. Oh my goodness! Yes, this is the holiday that keeps on giving. Oh my goodness! This is the holiday that keeps on giving. That is former Winnipegger Deborah Chan. Spoke with her about a week ago. At that point, her and her husband, John, were quarantined on the Diamond Princess cruise ship off Tokyo. Well, I started hearing over the weekend that they may be on the move. And I was emailing with Deborah, and this morning I chatted with her, and here is my full conversation with her. You've been hearing bits and pieces of it as we've gone along here today on CJOB. Here's the entire thing. Deborah Chan from this morning. Well, hello again, Deborah. Hi, Hal. Thank you for reaching out again. It's nice to talk to you. Well, thank you for talking with me. How are you and John doing? You're at Travis Air Force Base in California now. When did you leave? Tell us all about that, because uh, the last time we talked about a week ago, you were still on the Diamond Princess off Tokyo. That's right. We've been in Travis Air Force Base for two days now. This is the second day, and uh, we were extricated um, two days ago, and it took 10 hours for them to get everybody off the cruise ship that were Americans and to get them on buses. And we did a lot of sitting on the buses before we got to the cruise ship, and then we waited another hour and a half. And we finally figured out after it was probably because they had just gotten some more test results. And uh, the people that were sitting on the bus with us, there was a few cases that actually were positive for the coronavirus. So they, we were while we were sitting on the buses, they actually pulled them off first to go onto the planes, and we found out later they had kept them on the planes with us, but in uh, cordoned off areas behind plastic. So that was quite uh, shocking for us to find out when the flight was finished. Well, yeah, because you're wanting to, you know, you're quarantined. You don't want to be exposed to COVID nineteen, and here you find out. There are cases of it on the bus and on the plane. And I had actually been talking right to a lady that was sitting next to me that was pulled off. <laughs> so, but luckily, we were wearing the, the good N95 masks. So they're very uh, good at keeping germs away. They have filters on them and everything. So, um, so far, I feel just great. So I'm not too worried. And you're being checked all the time? Yes. 
Here on the base, uh, they have medical teams which come twice a day to take our temperatures and ask for any symptoms or anything. And actually, even before we got off the plane on the base when it landed, the CDC came on with the full hazmat suits and, and checked us all out before we could get off. Yeah, you sent me pictures of that. It's almost like a sci-fi movie. I felt like I was on one, to be honest. It was quite surreal. People with hazmat suits walking around with their own little oxygen filtering supply on their little fanny packs. And it's like, whoa, what are we breathing if they have the good stuff? Yeah, no kidding. My understanding is you're basically in your room at the Air Force Base for two days. So when will you be able to get outside with a mask on? Tomorrow morning, and uh, we have to maintain still uh, two meters apart from each other uh, while we're outside, and we're given a limited area that we can actually go to, which is quite large, but this is a very active working Air Force base, so they don't want us to get anywhere near their operations. And two weeks of quarantine at the base there, so do the math for me. Go all the way back to when your cruise began, and if you are free to go home, in two weeks, how long will that have been? Between five and six weeks total. Wow. It's a long holiday. <laughs> yes, but you sound great. Like, you seem very upbeat. People said that the last time we talked, that you seem to be in really good spirits. You know, I'm just resigned to the fact that this is what's happened and I can't change it. So might as well make the best of it, right? So... I'm continuing to do my marching throughout the, now we're in an apartment, like a little one-bedroom apartment, and I'm marching back and forth and back and forth, and I think that helps bring out the endorphins and the happiness, right? (laughs) And how are you and John doing together? You're obviously married. I don't know how long you've been married, but is it testing your marriage at all? Some people are asking me about that. Actually, you know, surprisingly, we have gotten along just fabulously. We haven't killed each other, and uh, no arguments. We're doing great. I think we realize we're in this together, and we've only got each other, so we have to make the best of it. We, we heard that one lady on the cruise that was bringing, hassing out everything that was a problem in her marriage, and uh, you said it, it wasn't going to end. So uh, John's not suffering that way, so he's okay. Excellent. Anything else that we should know that you have discovered now after leaving the Diamond Princess flying in that cargo plane to Travis Air Force Base and now you're going to be at the base for two weeks? Anything else that you've learned that you can share with us? Well, we heard that there's over 540 cases now on the cruise ship. And actually, we have a brother-in-law. I have a brother-in-law and his wife, which are still on the cruise ship, and they're being extricated tonight to Hong Kong and uh, it's just like a Petri dish there right now so I think everybody will do much better once they're off and I think you know we can't take things out of context I think the most important thing is good hand washing you know if you're in a place where there's infections like you know viruses like this keep your mask on don't take it off wash your hands don't touch your face until you've washed your hands I think it'll be a lot better, I think. Um, We've learned, you know, like, just go with it, do what they say, and all will do well. The last time we talked about a week ago, you were on the Diamond Princess. Tell me when you found out that you were going to be taken off the ship into Travis Air Force Base. Tell me that story. We were actually only given about 36 hours notice if that that we were actually going to go off 
the precip, and they told us if we did not take this opportunity, uh, we were visiting our fellows the next morning, 10 a.m., to notify the consulate that we were accepting the ride on the cargo sh- uh, plane. And if we did not take that opportunity to go with them, we would be on our own until after March 3rd that no country would take us um, into their country, like to land. So we basically had no choice. So we had probably 36 hours notice, uh, you know, to pack up and get things ready and and uh, knowing that we were going to leave. And we talked before about your family back here in Winnipeg. How are they doing now with these latest developments? Oh, I think they're quite happy that we're back on in North America land and uh, that we're healthy and uh, and they're not worrying at all anymore. We've had some good conversations on FaceTime and everything. And I think it would be just relieved that we're back. Deborah, I hope the next time we talk, you are at your home in San Francisco. I sure hope so, too. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Same here. All the best. Thank you so much. Have a great day. That is a former Winnipegger Deborah Chan. Her and her husband now quarantined for the next couple of weeks at AFB Air Force Base, uh, Travis, California. There's the entire conversation. You can read more about this at cjob.com, including some great pictures that uh, Deborah sent me. It, it is time, past time, for this situation to be resolved. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and then Dennis Darby at the Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters. When you think about the entire manufacturing sector, more than 11% of our GDP and 65% of our exports, 75% of what we sell to the U.S., you can understand why this issue uh, is beyond serious. It's, it's critical. These blockades and protests are definitely starting to impact Canadians, especially in the pocketbook. Terry Shaw is the executive director of the Manitoba Trucking Association, and he joins us on the phone now. Terry, good afternoon. Hi, Hal. I wanted to get you on uh, with this because while it's been primarily rail disruptions, uh, we did see the highway down by Morris blocked on the weekend, and uh, I'll get to the incident with the truck and, and the protesters in a bit. But first of all, talk from the perspective of your association, Manitoba Trucking, and the impact that it's having on this province and, and on your members. Yeah, you bet. So everybody uh, assumes that a rail blockade doesn't impact trucking when the reality is the vast majority of everything that goes on rail at one point touches a truck, typically two points, truck to rail, rail to destination, and then rail to truck again, right, for those kind of first and last mile deliveries. Um, so anything that disrupts the, the rail supply chain has significant impact on trucking, absolutely. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, once roads start getting closed, that, that for sure uh, impedes our members' ability to serve their customers. Any idea how much of an impact it's had so far? Couldn't even begin to quantify, but it's massive. We're hearing from our members, and, and more importantly, we're hearing from those we exist to serve, those in the ag communities, those in the manufacturing communities. Um, you know, so again, there's the trucking industry itself, which is uh, a couple of billion dollars a year just in Manitoba. Um, but the goods we move are, are worth billions, tens of billions uh, in terms of exports, imports. Um, you know, I've said it a thousand times. 
Manitoba is a province of traders. Over half of our provincial GDP is reliant on trade, and the vast majority of that trade moves on truck. Um, the rest of it that doesn't, the, the next highest majority is, is things that are moving on rail. So anytime you disrupt our ability to engage in that trade, um, it's hugely disruptive to the economy. People who were watching Global News Television may have seen that blockade down by Morris. There was a truck that pulled up to the protesters and then tried to go around the protesters. The protesters stepped in front. The truck kept going. Uh, Any thoughts on that? I mean, uh, you know, listen, the economic impact is enough. Uh, And I understand the frustration, and and I I understand it on both sides. I I get it. Um, But, boy, uh, just seeing that, uh, that's scary stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen it myself. I've heard it reported. Um, And and so there's impacts outside of the economics. Um, And the one that this situation highlights is the safety impacts, right? You know, you've got people coming into conflict with heavy commercial vehicles, right? And and so we absolutely don't, under any circumstances, condone those kinds of actions, running barricades or, or operating in an unsafe fashion. We appreciate the frustration. Um, it's, it's a tough job being a truck driver. You've got weather delays, floods, snow. You've got infrastructure challenges, construction delays. And now you've got, you know, um, what I would call probably not the best word, but uh, uh, a fabricated delay, right? And so we don't want to get into the politics of it, but it's just one more delay that a truck driver sees. So while I appreciate the frustration, we under no circumstance condone those kinds of actions, highly unsafe uh, for all parties involved, right? And so that's why we would love to see these these kinds of actions come to an end. Um, there's the economics of it, uh, which are certainly damaging enough, but you know now we've got people's lives um, being placed at risk. Um, and so that's certainly something that we are concerned about. You mentioned the politics, and I played a clip of Prime Minister Trudeau there, and, and he has been saying today that we can't uh, act hastily here. We have to take our time. There needs to be dialogue. And uh, a lot of people find that sort of talk frustrating. Here's my question for you as head of the Manitoba Trucking Association. The longer this goes on, are we going to reach a point where it gets really bad? You know, is there a, a like it's bad, but is there a point mm-hmm. where it's going to take a long time for your industry to kind of come back and, and get back to normal? That this could end tomorrow, but the ripple effect might go on for a while. That was the exact point I'm going to make. And it's not just the ripple effect for our industry. It's the ripple effect for our economy. Shutting this down today, CN's laying off hundreds of people. You know, trains have sat, containers have sat, product has has sat idle. Um, And so now just getting that restarted will take weeks, if not months. So ending this today will have lasting impact. And so to those who want to ensure that the system feels that impact, it's being felt and it will continue to be felt even in the absence of those blockades. So, you know, if if there's any consideration in terms of factoring in those kinds of considerations for the for those who are protesting, again, we're not going to weigh in on the politics of it, but in terms of the impacts leaving today, the impacts don't leave with you, they remain. As you talk to some of the big trucking companies, bigger tr- uh, companies that are, are uh, members of your association, are we hearing about layoffs in the trucking industry in Manitoba yet or not quite? Um, I've heard not from the bigger players, but from the smaller players. They don't have the ability to shift as much. They don't have 
the diversity in their customer base as much. So we have um, some smaller local operators that depend very heavily on uh, the dredge business, you know, empty containers in, loaded containers out, running to and from, shippers to the railhead. And those are the ones that are really being hurt. You're not hurting the big guys. They've got the ability um, temporarily to absorb some of these losses and or to, you know, divert business from, you know, X to Y. Um, it's the smaller guys that are really left with uh, much smaller options, which are, you know, if we don't got this business, we have no business. And so those are the people that are being hurt. You're not hurting the big guys. You're hurting the, well, you're not hurting the big guys as much as you are hurting the smaller guys. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense, right? So so you're hearing of, uh, like, owner-operator truck drivers and smaller companies that are right now not on the road because they uh, don't have anything to move because of the blockades and protests. Absolutely, and we've been hearing that for, uh, if not last week, the week before already. So again, in terms of impact, it's lasting, uh, and it's it's been it's been felt, uh, and it's been felt for some time. But yeah, the primary uh, impact is systemic, but it's the smaller guys that are, are really taking the brunt of it so far. Terry, thanks for your time as always. Yeah, thank you, Hal. Terry Shaw, Executive Director of the Manitoba Trucking Association. So there you go. Uh, It is having an impact. And even if this ends tomorrow, uh, the impact will continue. And as Terry said, not just for Manitoba truckers, uh, but for the economy as a whole on an ongoing basis, because it's going to take some time to get things back in action again, moving again. 240, 20 to 3. Uh, Lorraine Rempel's going to join us. She's a puppy raiser. We're going to talk with her um, about uh, that because the CNIB Insight Gala is coming up March 12th at the Convention Center. Let me just read a couple of uh, text messages and emails here, uh, getting lots of uh, different reaction to some of the stories we're talking about today. Uh, The idea of putting Terry Fox on the $5 bill. Thank you to Dan and also to Tim, I think, who suggested maybe, uh, yes, Tim. Thank you, guys, for suggesting that maybe I should go on the $5 bill. No. Terry Fox, I mean, he was, when I was the 34th greatest Canadian of all time, Terry Fox was my number one voice, or my number one vote for that. And so I like the idea of Terry Fox being on the $5 bill. But thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Winnipeg, Hal, has a very diverse population. Maybe the meal kits don't cover that diversity. Okay, we're talking about meal kits because apparently uh, these meal kits, you know, that they deliver to your house, apparently in Manitoba, only about 14% of Manitobans are using the meal kits, the lowest in the country. And so I asked you for your thoughts on that, and there's one of the uh, text messages that we got on that. Uh, Here's one, hashtag frugal Winnipeg. Hal, you want to really blow up the meal kit industry, especially here in Winnipeg? Offer 50 cents off. Yes, we are frugal. Uh, here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Oh, here's somebody weighing in on the COVID-19 story. Yeah, how really weird how the media would hone in on this one issue and fan the flames. Listen, don't blame the media. Uh, The World Health Organization has said that this is a big deal, and so we're covering the news. Now, I'm going to play back for you after 3 o'clock, I think after 3.30 actually, a bit of my conversation with Dr. Joel Kettner, who is a prof of medicine 
at the U of M. And, and he thinks the World Health Organization has gone too far in the way it talks about COVID-19. But uh, again, I, I don't think he can blame the media. We're, we're doing our job. That's what I think, anyhow. Uh, protesters, back to the blockades here. Another uh, text message. How I say arrest them. It is the way that they will learn to be law-abiding citizens. Trudeau's an idiot, will do nothing because he doesn't want to hurt feelings. These blockades are illegal. If I did it, I'd be in jail. Hear that from a lot of you out there. I mentioned that today is Eat Ice Cream for Breakfast Day. Hal, if you run out of milk, you know, for your coffee, ice cream is a great substitute. Didn't really think about that, but thank you for the text message. I appreciate it. And we also talked about how this uh, new study says most people uh, take more photos of their pet than their significant other. And Debbie says, how the best visitor I had daily at the hospital when I had my knee replaced was my puppy, Benji. He jumped up, cuddled me very gently, played with me, and brought me much comfort. Dogs are the best. I agree. Debbie dogs are the best. Yes. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.